It's one o'clock. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm just about four hours late here, Rita. Rita? Anita. Gita. Gita! Close. <laughs> Olympic star Doug Dorsey's the best hockey player in America, and he's about to retire. <laughs> Kate Mosley was America's sweetheart. Until Hercules here learns how to lock his grip, this will have to do. And she's got a nickname that rhymes with rich. What a thing. For both of them, the Olympics have become a faraway dream. Yeah, you try. Until someone... Those are figure skates, pal. ...set up the ultimate blind date. Who the hell do you think you are? I'm a guy who came a long way for lunch. Please don't let me keep you from the trough. Enough! The king of the rink and America's ice queen just became a team. Don't quit your day job. Would you please put me down? Oh, you traitor! Guess that move needs some work. You've been doing what? I've been doing a little figure skating. Finger painting? As a matter of fact, I do have a boyfriend. What do you do, keep him chained up in the basement? I don't like to see her upset. If I was you, I'd invest in blindfolds. Are they gonna get it before they kill each other? You look really nervous. How nervous are you? <laughs> Dorsey and Mosley, the American Olympic team's best shot at the goal. You're falling for him. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> In case you've missed it, I am throwing myself at you. Get out of my way. No problem. I've been practicing that move for a year and a half. D.B. Sweeney. Man, would I love to see you play hockey. Moira Kelly. Any day. The Cutting Edge. It's not like his nose was perfect. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brett Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up today. And today's episode, it's got a special uh, recall for, for our friend David here with his, uh, his long storied history on the rink. <laughs> we, did, <laughs> we did a little romance this month. Now we're doing a little sports romance with the cult classic from the 90s, The Cutting Edge. Ooh. The Cutting Edge. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. It's an edgy topic here today. Cutting Edge. Are you kidding? Let's go. Yeah. Wow. So this was your idea. Yeah, definitely 100%. <laughs> I put this on the list. Yes. <laughs> and proud right. of it. All right. <laughs> it's a movie, you know, we'll, we'll get into it in a second, but yeah, I've actually been wanting to talk about this for a while because I've never, never what? seen it. So, um, <laughs> it's been one of those just sitting there like, oh, I should watch that. Oh, I should watch that for decades. And, uh, finally it's time. Glad I, I got think it. You, I think I, I'm glad you finally came around <laughs> the, um, <clears throat> how many like Olympic, there's some good Olympic movies out there, right? Some good, I mean, obviously there's great sports movies, but we have, sure. I mean, Kurt Russell's got one and Miracle, right? Miracle's the one that sticks out the most in my head, but I know there's there's definitely others. Um, uh, don't ask me to list them. 
<laughs> but, but I know there's others. Cool, yeah, cool runnings. Cool runnings is one. Oh, cool runnings. Cool That's runnings. Oh, put a put a pin in that one. Put I a, think a little maybe, foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we should uh, <laughs> cover that one. Let's see. Sure. Uh, um, what about that right. uh, fox catcher? Is that the Steve Carell? Is that was that fox was that catcher? A yeah, there you go. That's a nice dark one. Uh, Chariots of Fire, right? The, the classic. Chariots of Fire. Yeah. There you go. Classic. That's, yeah, that's a classic. They're out there, but but I don't know if we, you know, '90s Olympics movies. Uh, I mean, this isn't even really the Olympics; it's the National Skating Championships. But it feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, you can't beat this movie. All they those get, other Olympics movies are just false. Well, they get to yeah. the Olympics at the at the very end, though. That's the right, last right. competition. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. uh it's their path it's, to the Olympics. It's not even the point of the movie, right? The point <laughs> of the movie is love, love. <laughs> It's all about love. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's Munich. Let's hit Munich's our... an Olympic movie, isn't it? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> it is. I didn't want to mention that one. It's That's pretty, also an Olympic <laughs> movie. Well, if if you went Foxcatcher, you might as well go Munich. <laughs> yeah, David's yeah. going with all the real dark shit. Yeah. Hey, human stories happen at all levels of sports. Yes, they do. Oh, they're not always. The, there was the Clint East one, one that came out a couple years ago about the the dude who was. Uh, who is wrongly Snipe, accused American of, sniper? No, he was wrongly oh. accused of setting off the bomb at the Atlanta it, Olympics. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, what was that? Uh it's another one. I can't remember the name. That's like such a good one. I like it. Is that was decent. good, actually. Paul Walter Hauser is the actor. Yeah, uh, he's right. great. Yeah. He's so yeah, he was well, nominated, right? Yeah, he was nominated for that. And what a um a great I don't know. he's just such an up and coming actor that he's just getting better and better and better each each movie, it feels like. Yeah. He was in he was Richard Jewell. And don't forget he was also in I Tanya uh, as one of the yes. scumbags. That's right. So two Olympic movies for the for, for Paul Walter Hauser. Yeah, he's the, the epicenter of Olympic movies, we'll say. He's an Olympic hero. <laughs> All right. Uh let's get into it. Uh we're gonna start with our six degrees of reconsideration. Brent, throughout a movie, David and I are gonna guess the connection to the cutting edge in as few moves as possible by the end of the episode. Awesome. I'm going to go crazy here. And because I, if, if the audience hasn't figured it out yet, research this time around was uh, maybe lacking, but I'm just going to dig deep and go back with the princess bride, link it to the princess bride, which uh, you can find in the archives, John, right? You sure can. It's at www.reconsinimation.com where you can find all our back catalog and wonderful episodes that we've been recording for almost six years now. Bananas. Wow. That's a lot yeah. of episodes. A lot of episodes. Yeah. We're <laughs> heading straight towards 200, guys. It's coming up not too, in the not too distant future. Wowie, wowie, wow. Yeah. How do you like crazy. that curveball? Find the movie we just did. Check it out. Mm. Good luck. All right. Got it. All right. So we'll come back at the end here. Uh, Brent, let's let's go back to you. Tell us what's happening in The Cutting Edge. The Cutting Edge is a 1992 romantic comedy directed by Paul Michael Glazer and written by Tony Gilroy. Uh, the story revolves around a mismatched pair, Doug Dorsey, a talented but injured ice hockey player, and Kate Mosley, a prima donna figure skater. After a career-ending injury for Doug, he reluctantly teams up with Kate to pursue a new career in pairs figure skating. The film explores their journey from the 
initial animosity to a blossoming romantic and professional partnership as they prepare for the Winter Olympics. Fueled by witty banter, competitive spirit, and the challenges of balancing their contrasting personalities, The Cutting Edge is a heartwarming tale of love and triumph on and off the ice. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better, my friend. Wow. That's it right there, guys. Straight from the marketing department. Of... Straight from <laughs> chat GPT. Thanks. Uh, wow, God. All right, nice. getting direct faxes from uh, the MGM marketing department. It's true. That's how we do it. I literally read the back of the, uh, the VHS. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, are you reading the back of the tape right now? But those <laughs> like, are the best, guys. Standing in yep. Blockbuster why, right now. Like... Why, why fuck with perfection, guys? That's all I'm saying. Don't you want to know? What Rex Reed thought about it in three words. <laughs> Rex Reed. <laughs> Rex Reed. <laughs> let's get to the Reed report. The Rex report. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go back in time for a recits in a time capsule. David, bring us back, back to March 27th, 1992. What's happening in the world? Oh, man. Uh, well, it's, yeah, March 1992. The uh, scrunchie is continuing its 80s domination in the hair accessory market. Sega Genesis is regularly outselling the Super Nintendo. And the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles debuted this month on television, uh, and which would inspire millions of school children to become spies slash archaeologists. Uh, Vanessa Williams is teaching America how to save the best for last. And right said Fred changes pop culture forever with I'm Too Sexy. President George Herbert Walker Bush and Bill Clinton keep racking up primary wins heading into the November U.S. presidential election. The Washington Redskins gave the Buffalo Bills their second straight of four, uh, no, second of four straight Super Bowl losses uh, earlier that January. Uh, remember when the Super Bowl was in January, by the way? That was fun. Yeah, that was pretty interesting back <laughs> Those in the day. were the days. It's been 23 years, but maybe maybe one day we'll get back to it. Um, the defending champ Chicago Bulls, led by Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and coach Phil Jackson continue their path to a then franchise high of 67 wins and their second NBA title ever. Uh, that's all I have, but uh, page me later and maybe I'll have some more. All right. <laughs> I like your... to send you a page every so often. Yeah. yeah make be, sure be, the beeper's be. on. It's usually <laughs> like eight zero zero eight. <laughs> yeah. Eight that's zero zero. That's, that's yours. Yeah. yeah. Eight yeah. zero zero eight five. Yeah. That's just, I, a, I, just a hello greeting. If you know, you know. um what a wonderful time march 1992 was yeah super bowl poor jim kelly and uh leading the bills to those four losses that was what what a great quarterback and a terrible you know run of uh super bowl losses it's the saddest story in sports history it's (laughs) not it's not but what are you talking about (laughs) cte hardly Hardly yeah. a problem. Well, CT. Yeah. <laughs> that's the. There you go. That's more on but the right that, track. David, <laughs> it was the '90s. That wasn't a thing. Didn't exist yet. It di- wasn't invented yet. Yeah, it wasn't invented. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> this is the, well. That was the biggest tragedy since you know Junior Seau. Yeah, or Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Deep cuts. Hard times. Uh, God bless all well, of our players. Well, a lighter cut. Let's get into it with the cutting edge. Brent, when was the first time you saw this film? Ooh, uh, it, not at the theater, but on. Yeah, no, not at the theater. <laughs> I did see other movies uh, around this time that 
well, it doesn't matter, but I didn't see this one at the theater <laughs> and I did see it on VHS. Uh, I feel like my buddy Andy is the one that introduced me to this. I don't know why I think that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, yeah, but man, I, lo- I, I loved it. I Look, early 90s me, sucker for a romantic comedy. You throw, th- throw some sports in there, especially hockey, which... Uh, we did not have a hockey team in Houston when I was very young, but we did get an expansion IHL team around this time in my high school years. And uh, I loved going to those games, really loved hockey. So you throw a hockey guy in a romantic comedy and I'm, I'm sold. And uh, yeah, I'm a fan of this movie have been since I first saw it whenever that was early in, <laughs> in my high school days. <laughs> Nice. All right, David, how about you? First time watch or had you seen it before? Hadn't seen it before. It's a, I, uh, I don't, I did. I never wanted to see it. Then I sought it out, but uh, sure. I was aware of it since the beginning. I remember those, remember the trailer. I remember the ads. I was like, I don't know who these two people are. I think you do. See, um, I don't remember any of that. Like it just yeah. one day a VHS was handed and I was like, oh, okay, well, what we're watching this now. Yeah. yeah. Whatever programming, I, whatever programming I was paying attention to really wanted me to watch, go to the theater and watch The Cutting Edge. It was it may Ninja have been, Turtles. It may, it may be in, it may have been the Olympics uh, mm. during during that time because uh, I think this yeah. released right after, right after the uh, Winter Olympics of that year. Is that right? This is uh, this is true, I believe. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. So it was Olympic fever had gripped the nation. Everyone, uh, you know, Americans, we love the Olympics. We mm-hmm. love talking about the Olympics. We like Olympic movies. We like songs about the Olympics. We watch, we love watching documentaries. We are we love, a big Olympics heavy country. We love not remembering the name of movies that are based around the Olympics. I mean, <laughs> classic moves, guys. Classic so, yeah, moves. This was my nice. first time watch to to jump in. And that's why I'm like, what, who, who picked this? <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Well, you picked it and I backed it up. So Fast. Um, I this is actually a first time watch for me. It's not very often for for me that we were covering movies that I haven't seen before. But this is one of them. But it's been on my radar since, I don't know, probably like 93. I, do, I don't remember promos for it for when it was in the theaters. But I remember when it came on like, you know, cable and pay-per-view and all that. And I remember seeing uh, commercials on TV for it then. Uh, and when I was working at my very favorite video store, Suncoast Motion Picture Company, uh, a colleague there, we, we used to, you know, anyone who's been in Suncoast has to know they used to run movies, you know, in the store all day. And that's every, uh, that's every video store, John, every, right. Video store they all do it. Yeah. So it's, it's a thing, but nobody remembers video stores. So <laughs> except sad, us. sad. um, the, yeah. So a colleague of mine loved this movie and just demanded, you know, I always wanted to run like Jurassic park and back to the future and what, you know, big movies like that. But uh, they wanted to run the cutting edge and we ran it like every, almost every time they were on the clock for, for a while. So uh, I kind of heard it in the background, you know, saw little snippets of it while I was working, but never 
sat down and watched the movie all the way through and uh, did everything possible to ignore it while it was playing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, story. can I re-alphabetize the comedy section? <laughs> dump it on the floor and let me reorganize. <laughs> but yeah, so I hadn't seen it till uh, just now. So, you know, I, I, and I really barely remembered, I remembered a couple of moments from it, but um, most of it had been deleted from my brain. So uh, yeah, and watching a movie like this for the first time in present day. Magical, it's, right? It's quite <laughs> jarring. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a time capsule. Yeah. yeah Movies is. are not made like this anymore. This is like probably one of the most 90s movies that definitely that we've covered. Yeah, it's definitely it's solidly locked into the nineties. Um, but it's still charming. The charm carries over. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is I, I was, you know, the movie is, we're going to get into much greater detail, but the movie is very formulaic and very by the numbers kind of predictable. Like, you know, exactly where this movie is going to end up and all the steps to get there. But when I got to the end, I was like, totally on board with it. I was like, yep, these, these guys should yeah. be together. <laughs> it sells you on it. Like it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's a hundred percent formulaic, but I think by the end you're, you know, like for me, it's the relationship between the two. I think that it's very charming. I think that it's very believable. Uh, even though the formula of the kind of, uh, polar opposites attract kind of, kind of thing, it has been done hundreds of times over, you know, like I think their performances and, and the chemistry that they have with each other really work and kind of sell you on it. Plus they're not, the further we get into the nineties and the two thousands, you know, a lot of these movies end up forgoing like that real chemistry and just throwing like mega stars in there and hoping that that's going to be enough to like carry the weight of, of a being, you know, a, a retread of another romantic comedy of some sort. Right. Well, it, are you saying that if this if this movie had Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson in it, that you wouldn't see it? I do not. I mean, of course, I would have seen it, but <laughs> I don't think it'd be as good. I agree. I agree entirely. Yeah, got way out of control in the two thousand. You know, the later part of the two thousands and early twenty tens. Yeah, Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher, of course, <laughs> they got to be in it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there's something to be said about, I, I don't know if it's, I mean, particularly 80s and 90s movies that storytelling in a lot of films was much more straightforward all across the board, really. I mean, not everything, but like even big movies like Apollo 13, like very straightforward. There's not a lot of twists and turns and a lot of like um, surprise, you know, gimmicks that that kind of got popular you know, in more recent years, but well, isn't that kind we, of we, nice though? In the, in this, I feel like it's kind of nice in this case, you know, like yeah. having, having that relief from the fact that like, it feels like everything today needs some sort of twist or underlying moment that is jarring of some sort. And you're right. This is straightforward. You know what you're going to get. It's not overly complicated. It's a very simple story. You know, and I I think that benefits this movie. 
Totally. And and it's very similar to how I kind of felt when we when we talked about while you were sleeping, uh, which you can check out in the archives at reconsidimation.com. It was our holiday episode this year. Uh, it's like, you know what's going to happen, but you know what? It's okay kind of just sitting down, like get on the couch, get a blanket and just like chill and watch this movie. <laughs> Snuggle up to a loved one. Yeah. No, it's, I agree though. It's not, not every whether it's, you know, romantic comedies or, or, or whatever kind of subject, like stories get so complicated and they're so, I, I don't know, it, it feels like a lot of, I don't know if it's studios or writers or directors feel like they have to gimmick it up now to keep it interesting and keep an audience engaged. And a movie like this is just really like, nope, this is the straightforward story. We have basically four characters in the movie <laughs> that mm -hmm. it's very it's a very quiet movie you know it's just most of it is just the two of them with the coach there and then terry quinn terry o'quinn like one level removed and that's it <laughs> until we get to the you know the championships later on i don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of movie it granted it's not for everybody and i don't think um, a lot, a massive audience is going to rediscover and love this movie because of how stylized '90s it is. I mean, those, those, there's like that motion effect that. That's yeah, done. that is it's that part to me is I think the most like aggravating and and it takes me out of it the most. And I, and and there are elements again, not original story, whatever. There are elements to the filmmaking of this, like camera work and, and things like that, that, that do take you out. There are some parts of it that are absolutely amazing. Like I do actually think that a lot of the figure skating scenes that aren't caught up in like the weird kind of blur effect that they're doing is actually pretty decent. Like the fact, I, I don't believe either uh, main actors had any kind of uh ice skating uh background no. going into this but they both look super comfortable on the ice and in a lot of the ways that they're doing it and i don't know if they're using doubles or not if they are they've hidden them really well but there are certainly moments where you see and you know that it's them and they look really natural out there so like some of that is really well done but yeah that weird blur effect which they use constantly is very cheesy by by like today's you know sensibilities like you watch it and it's like what the f is this you know like come on well do they have to shoot it that way or is that a, all in post because it's like you know instead of just shooting it in slow motion which they could have done it seems it's, like this is an added effect later like oh we need it, to spice this up and so yeah, it's, it's just post. so they didn't plan on it so that's and you can just tell it's like they you know it's an attempt to like sort of sweeten the scenes a little bit, give, or, give them a little goosh, a little yeah. goose or, and or, not... hide, or hide deficiencies. Maybe I, I think yeah. it's that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, they really have to mask like the, like that our actors are not skating <laughs> like, right. in the, in the main, in the best moves or even, or the, anything. So, uh, sorry, but yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. That, that, uh, that blur effect is, or that motion effect really reminds me of like the first season of the real world. I feel like that's like, yeah, like that's it's kind of an interstitial gimmick they do, but yeah. um, which was the oh, same year, but that, that reminds me who, um, 
uh who played punky brewster what's her name um Salome moon fry yeah did you did you see her like documentary like with her when since she was a kid and then through her teen years and in hollywood like she videotaped everything like she was always walking around videotaping her friends yeah and then like at one point the consumer the prosumer camcorder that she got had like a strobing camera effect so it only would film like two frames and then pause and then you keep hearing what's going on then you see the two frames like a second later and it catches up so it's like if she was just they fell in love with this thing so like half of her like footage is this like really terrible prosumer like effect and you can't fix it because it didn't actually record frames of video it would just pause like pause on a frame keep recording audio and then keep going so it created this weird strobe thing and it ruined a lot of like to me visually it's just uh, it's horrendous to keep up with uh but like you can just tell like oh that's the new feature of this new camcorder i'm using so she they just use it all the time um and it's just like yeah these like effects don't make videos better or visual or anything visual <laughs> yeah. better like they're no. all gimmicks <laughs> or yeah. they have to be tools to hide deficiencies like we're saying yeah <laughs> i it. i think i think really yeah if, if there's the actors Moira Kelly and DB Sweeney did they you're correct Brent they did not have any kind of formal training or informal training going into this movie so it's interesting that they're cast in general um which we're going to come around to but uh but once they got cast they went through really intense training uh, a la the montage sequence that we see uh in, in the film but mm-hmm. uh and they got re- they got really good and there's definitely shots where you can tell it's them but they did have doubles and i think that effect was a way to just kind of yeah. make it <laughs> that part a little hidden and that was just a style of the day and you know like like the zoom the intense zoom of the late 60s uh, right you know it's just a visual element that doesn't really translate anymore yeah it dates it for sure it definitely yeah. dates it like mm-hmm. that, that yeah i agree that one move is prop to me what dates the movie the most i agree i mean there's also the soft focus kind of thing kind of throughout which well, i didn't mind which we that, also though. i mean we see that we talked about this in the princess bride as well we saw that in the princess bride but it seemed to work better for that story because that story is a fairy tale. Right. And so like that soft focus, I think in the, in, in that podcast, we mentioned how it kind of likens to like the watercolor paintings of, of the old, like, you know, uh, princess stories and stuff we would read, you know, as a kid, this, it just doesn't, it's got more like that dream sequence Dallas effect to it, where it's like, you know, they used to say they like rub Vaseline on the lens to make yeah. like this, you know, it's got that kind of look and it, it does very much, I feel like date it. And, and then you couple that with that weird transition thing. And it's, it's, yeah, that, that part's pretty jarring and, and certainly makes it feel older. I, you know what though, I didn't, for me personally, I didn't mind that uh, as much. It, it um, it sets the movie apart to me visually mm-hmm. that there's not a, mo- a lot of movies that use that style. And I think it makes the movie distinct. So in a sense, I, I like, I, and I think it's also because of the, the romantic side of it. The, the love story is just kind of a foundation of supporting that, but I didn't mind it for this particular movie. It, if there were a lot of movies that were using it, I probably would have hated it. 
mm-hmm. because it feels like it's one of the very few, it's really off the top of my head, the only one that I can think of in the 90s that that does use it. Uh, there are probably more, but um, this yeah. is the only one I can think of. So, so for me, I didn't mind it, but I totally get it. Like it, it's, it doesn't, it can take you out of the movie as well. So you're either going to buy it or you're not. Yeah, I just think it, I think it very much roots it in in the nineties and doesn't allow, like, I think if you didn't have it in there and you didn't have the, the other kind of like dated elements, like the story and stuff like that, I think would actually hold up and you could watch it now and, and it could be contemporary and, and work, you know, and as long as you were still able to recapture uh, kind of that chemistry between the lead actors and, and things like that throughout the course, like it would play better than, you know, 95% of the romantic comedies that are made today. Right. Because most of them are, you know, I mean, at this point, like they've all like, this is 92. Right. And, you know, this formula has been milked from 92 from even before that to now. And it's, you know, like um, very, very much rinse repeat and they don't have the, the star power anymore or, or uh, that kind of thing going into it. So I think you have to have, actors that carry the story and uh because of some of the effects and stuff that they did like it just doesn't translate as well mm-hmm. i i agree with the like that it's that's so, it's sort of indicative of its era and stuff but i do like that that artifact it's almost like i don't like especially today and like everything's the sharpness of so many things like there's some there's some projects movies or tv and it looks too good to be like, especially if it's a period or something, it looks too sharp and too in focus and not contrasty enough a lot of times, depending mm-hmm. on the project. And so like where you would use atmosphere or a, like and, and sometimes it's lacking, these modern ones are lacking in atmosphere. So it's just really nice looking picture, but it doesn't really help tell the story. And, uh, you know, so to, to like, it just needs some softness. It need like sometimes these like modern ones. They don't. They just look good because they look because it's a like high resolution digital photography. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of like that. Yeah. This is like a different visual look that that points me to a, 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 that era. Um, you know, I like a little softness. That's nice. It makes me feel warm. Yeah. <laughs> Comfortable. <laughs> Cozy. Let's um let's talk about some of the players involved in uh in the making of this film. Director Paul Michael Glazer, who mm-hmm. most people would know as Starsky from the 1970s cop show Starsky and Hutch. Ah, the OG. Yeah. But like Leonard Nimoy would go on to a uh you know, a successful directing career. He uh he directed The Running Man. <laughs> <laughs> which you couldn't have two movies further apart. Although there is a bit of a skating uh, sequence in the there running is. man as well. That's right. <laughs> Did this Sub-Zero. come before running man? No running man was like 87. Then that's, uh, that's where he, that's where he really got his taste for, for filming yeah. on, on ice. He said, you know what? Either I make a movie about sub zero or I do a movie about skating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got both worlds. Yeah, the uh, so the, he directed the Running Man, then then this film, The Cutting Edge, but he also did the Air up there and the classic 
Shaquille O'Neal film Kazam. Ooh. That's right. It's not the Sinbad film Shazam that we've all seen. It's Kazam. Wait, does the Sinbad movie Shazam actually exist? I hear we've my... all seen it. Everybody's seen it. I don't think so. I I I <laughs> think it's one of those crazy Mandela effects. It it, it sure is. That's it's what? like the one. Yeah, Shazam yeah. does not exist, but I remember that fucking movie. <laughs> we all do. We remember the the posters. We remember seeing it. It existed. It was in stores. Just can't yeah. find it anymore. Nope. <laughs> it's been wiped. Um, yeah, we'll have to talk to Paul Michael Glazer about it. But and then he would go on to a huge uh, TV directorial career, and and he would conti- continue acting as well. Yeah, I wasn't a Starsky fan. I never caught those uh, in the reruns and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a little bit before my time as well. I feel like I feel like it was not on like my (laughs) my my kind of barometer for for older series is whether or not it was on Nick at Night. And I don't recall Starsky and Hutch ever being on Nick at Night. So I missed it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it ran on like Saturday afternoons on like, you know, regular TV. And that Mm -hmm. was not a time if I was watching TV at that point as a kid, I was really bored you know? yeah, it was like <laughs> chips starsky and hutch and yeah. reruns of lou ferrigno's the hulk like yeah oh my god was, yeah. that was that that was the the block <laughs> but uh but he has done you know some interesting films uh i think probably the running man is is your biggest this is probably your, your next biggest but um you know, and and I think he did an interesting job of casting here, which we're going to come to the cast in just a second. But he's working with a script written by I, I couldn't believe it when I when I saw it was Tony Gilroy, the Tony Gilroy. Film. Yeah, who's like this is his first movie. And I mean, and a lot of people, a lot of writers, especially the and directors too, that the first movie they direct is or write is not really what they're going to be known for potentially sometimes they're just getting a foot in the door they're just getting something to get that first credit going and then once they get established then they can really build their their career and it feels like that is the case for tony gilroy here because if you look at pretty much everything afterwards they're very serious very heavy projects that um yeah so john for, for for our listeners what are some of those projects if they're not familiar well, I mean, right after this, he goes, here's just a handful of them. Dolores Claiborne, The Devil's Advocate. He wrote Armageddon. One of the, I probably, a number of writers who wrote Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Uh, a whole bunch of the Bourne films, the Jason Bourne films. Michael Clayton, Rogue One, and most recently, Andor. Yeah, and those are solid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all there's some real... There are some things in here that I would chop down, but Rogue One <laughs> and Andor are solid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they're all huge projects and, you know, big movies, parts of franchises. And uh, really, I think you just a sidebar about Star Wars for a second in all the ups and downs, mostly downs of the recent Star Wars projects. The ones he's been involved with have been so, like probably arguably the best. That's my point. I think so. Yeah. I'm a big fan. As as a film, Rogue One is, you know, I think the most solid as an actual film that it, it doesn't necessarily feel it it has a distinct feel. It doesn't, you know, it, it maybe on the surface it looks like a Star Wars movie, but it doesn't seem that way. So 
No, but that's the same with Andor as well. You know, yeah. I mean, Andor is very similar in that capacity. Yeah, they, I mean, he did a great job of capturing that visual style and the tone from Rogue One and keeping that with, you know, obviously there's a connective tissue there, uh, but keeping it that way for the series. And one of the most engaging, you know, for adults, <laughs> the adult mm-hmm. Star Wars fans, like finally had something to chomp, chomp into. Yeah, there's but, nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with adults just having something for Star in Star Wars. Like it, it, I, I get they're they're all kids movies, but uh, you know, to be challenged a little bit, I think is 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 good. And uh, yeah, I John, I can't wait for you to watch Andor. I think you're gonna love it. Yeah, it's uh, I'm a little behind on my my Star Wars. I got a little Star Wars out, so uh, Andor's <laughs> Andor's on the list. You've got plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen bits of it, but uh, I, and it's something I want to just in, engage into when I can allot the time. Of course. But yeah, it's so crazy to think that the, the person who wrote all those projects wrote The Cutting Edge. Yeah. This is the, this is the one that broke him into the, the business, yeah. right? Yeah. That's fantastic. But, uh, but like we talked about, it's it's the formula, right? Like it's the romantic comedy formula, the, you know, mix that with the sports, you know, what makes a good sports movie that, you know, the triumph at the end, the, the build to that, the hard road of, you know, not getting along and having to find their, you know, the, the characters have to find their chemistry with each other, but they find it in two different ways, <laughs> And, you know, having the big win at the end on both both sides of it, that that's, you know, it, it kind of works perfectly. So why mess with it if you know it's going to work? Let's talk about our actors, too. We'll start with, since there's only really four actors in this movie, um, uh, there's, there's more, but really four characters that we focus on. D.B. Sweeney. Uh, man, this was right in the, that period of time where, it felt like the industry was really trying to make DB Sweeney a, a big star. Yeah, he had a stretch, man. He had a stretch right around here that was that was great. I mean, Eight Men Out, uh, Memphis Bell, uh, Fire in the Sky. Like I like, I mean, Eight Men Out and Memphis Bell. Like I love those movies. Fire in the Sky. I remember being extremely like popular. It was a big movie at the time coming out. You know, a lot of a lot of attention. Um, I haven't seen it in, in years, but I just remember I just it rewatched pretty... it and uh, any, any good, uh, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It, it comes at a time like right before the X-Files and probably is something that influenced it in the way, you know, the I also way it was feel done. Like Robert Patrick was in that. Right. And I feel yes. like, he, I feel like he was coming off of Terminator two. Right. And so like, he was yep. a pretty hot commodity at the time, mm-hmm. like Terminator two had, changed cinema forever and it was a big part of that. And so, um, yeah, I just remember it being hugely popular. So for him to be included in that or part of that, like he, he couldn't have just been, you know, a nobody, but then after that, he sort of just disappeared again. Like, I mean, I know he's done stuff, but like he kind of, fell out of the limelight. He didn't become a huge megastar. Um, he's done a number of things since, you know, and, and he's fairly, you know, he's good in the things that I've seen. 
Uh, yeah. But they're not big deal. They're not like a big thing, you know, a lot of TV and things like that. Yeah, he's D.B. Sweeney's one of those actors that sort of bridged that 80s, 90s, you know, the gap between the 80s and 90s that he was, you know, coming up second half of the 80s was was still a star and the first half of the 90s. But hard to as you know, the post Tarantino world of cinema kind of changed, you know, he's one of many, many actors who, who could kind of didn't, you know, necessarily fit into the new you know, the new style of acting and actors that, that was kind of coming up in the, the later part of the nineties. And of course, yeah, he totally, he worked and was, uh, you know, moved into TV and worked all over TV for, I mean, to this day, he's still kind of floating around, um, but never really had that star uh, status kind of not too long after this movie, it kind of changed for him, but it's, um, it's interesting, like just seeing his career path that, I don't know if he fit better in ensemble casts because all the movies we kind of mentioned, they're big ensemble pieces and he fits great in those standing on his own as a leading man. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it didn't, I guess it sort of proved maybe that that wasn't where he fit in best, but eight men out fire in the sky. Uh, uh, what, what was the other one? Eight Memphis men out fire. Yeah. And Memphis bell was, uh, you know, all Lord's large casts. Lonesome Dove was another one of these huge miniseries of the time. Oh, yeah. Also a big, big ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, uh, and Fire in the Sky, like, he's he's got a very, you know, the, the story is him getting abducted by right. aliens and experimented on, and then whether that actually happened or not. So a lot of the movie, he's not in. Like, it's Robert Patrick and the rest of his group of friends kind of carrying it and telling the story in the town, whether they, the police, whether they believe them or not, or it's fictionalized. And there's a whole long story that goes in real, it's based on a true story and a whole <laughs> backstory that goes along with that. And then D.B. Sweeney reappears and then it's, you know, kind of seeing it through his eyes. So it, it is an intense performance and a, and a really good performance too. So, yeah. Um, what do we, what do we think about our, what do we think about Doug here? Do we, you know, Doug's character, Doug Dorsey is a, just to recap, is a, is a hockey star, right? I mean, is it portrayed? Is he like the best? Is he like the Michael Jordan of, of well, hockey here? Wayne Gretzky, really, I guess. He's amateur, right? Because he's in the Olympics, but they talk at the very beginning about how there's a number of, NHL teams that are excited to to be bringing them on, right? Because he's going to be going from the Olympics into the into the NHL, and uh, I think he's probably the top college prospect or or whatever. And so, um, and so there's a lot of uh, potential there, but you know he he gets injured and and uh, doesn't happen for him. And we don't really know much about him other than he's a womanizer, right? That's the first time we see him is oversleeping in bed with a woman whose name he doesn't really remember. And uh, he's got to, he's got to get to the rink. Yeah. But to be fair, he, he does say her name is Rita and her name is like Skeeta. So it's like, <laughs> there's it's something. Gita, I think, yeah. Gita, yeah it's Gita. Gita. It's like, yeah, I, I get it. You know, he's young. Look, not not cool, but he was close. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of like 
you know, typical character, especially from this era of what you'd think for, you know, a, a single uh, athlete, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, that's, I think that's the point. I wouldn't necessarily call him a womanizer, you know, because I think that like kind of paints him in a, in a bad light. I'd say he's, you know, He's not James Bond. Playing the field. Yeah, exactly. You know, coming coming off recently watching some James Bond movies, when you talk about womanizing, (laughs) yeah, you know, uh, I think I, I think that he's very likable throughout throughout the movie. You know, like I don't, I think you know, and we're pulling for him. You know, when he gets injured, uh, and when he starts skating with with Kate, you know, like he's kind of the average Joe guy because she's very hoity-toity she's very difficult uh and he's like i think the person that most of the male audience members are obviously going to to relate to right but uh, so i i just want to be careful but calling him a womanizer because i don't think that that's very becoming but i think that that's i fair. think that you're you're right like he's he's living a lifestyle of of you know like a young bachelor right and and so he you know has the world in his in his hand he's got everything coming to him and he is aware that he's he's a big deal so when all that gets taken from him uh you know i think in a lot of stories you'd see people like fold and you know like if this was a different movie he'd have to be pulled out from being an alcoholic and all sorts of dark places but no he goes and he like still tries to pursue his dream and at the same time, you know, help support his brother and his business as, 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 you know, his brother owns a bar and he's like building some housing behind the bar, probably for himself because he's got no real prospects of anything else going on, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I like the character. I think, I think he's the perfect kind of, mix of kind of you know uh mental like toughness to be able to make through that kind of stuff but also he's got a charm and a humor to him that that i think ultimately is is great to help kind of break down kate's walls and and you know like become relatable Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're following his story too right, right in the beginning that it's really i mean we're seeing her of course but we're following him as he's brought into her world yeah and yeah i agree that that i think yeah maybe maybe that term was a little harsh for him <laughs> he's not he's not sean connery james bond for sure <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's just a good contrast like yeah and and it's famous that you know in the olympic village all the athletes are are hooking up like that's uh, fact yeah they're the the they're the most athletic young hormonal people all in one giant like city that they can just and then with security so like outsiders can't even come in uh and they get to just you know whatever happens so of course you're gonna forget the person you just met two hours ago and who needs names (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he and, he, and listen, he thought he had it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the, yeah, other than that, but like, yeah, you don't get a sense that he's like, there's no real opportunity for it, but it's not like anytime there's another woman on the screen, he's like, well, what's her deal? Or he's ogling her or, right. cause you would just throw in those little bits if you had to like him just being distracted by 
another pretty ice skater or a reporter or whatever. So none of that ever happens, but so he's just, he's, he's, he's fancy free. He's lost his career prospects, but he's, he's figuring out where he's going to go. So uh, he's just that, he's just that every man guy. Well, and in fact, going kind of in the other direction, they're very like cautious about building the relationship between the two of them, that it doesn't immediately go like there is no, you know, sexual chemistry, you know, not very apparent right away. At least, you know, they don't realize it. Uh, and that's part of the story is that they don't realize it till way late in the game that, um, yeah, they, but they, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say they do a great job of establishing that both these people are from very different backgrounds and different sides of the track, right? Like he's very blue collar working with his hands, his family's blue collar. Like he's a hockey player, right? Like that's physical and, you know, like jarring in a way, like very, you know, like violent. And, and she is very white collar, you know, her, she lives on a, an amazing estate that has its own, uh, you know, hockey or uh, ice skating rink, you know, ice skating is much more fluid and gentle and choreographed. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, they're very different, you know, and, and like, I think it's great the time that it takes to kind of, to break down those walls and, and have them not only figure out how to be partners on the ice, but as they're doing that and learning how to like work together, they're, you know, like they're, growing attached to each other, you know, and, and, and it takes until the end of the movie for either of them to realize it. Uh, but, but it's, it's, it's that journey along the way that helps them get there. Yeah, totally. Um, let's talk about more Kelly too, that, uh, since we're, we're kind of talking about both of them, she was, uh, She's another interesting actress. She came from a very religious background and was kind of carefully picking the roles that she took uh, that kind of didn't go against her religious beliefs. And and kind of one of the famous ones that she did take, she, she actually has an incredible 1992. <laughs> she does The Cutting Edge, Chaplin, which guess what? You can listen to in the archives at reconcinemation.com and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me where she took over the role from Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, who played the character Donna Hayward in the, in the series, she took it over in the, in the film uh, version of it. And there's a very graphic, you know, sort of sex scene slash orgy that happens that that was a very uh, specific thing she had to take up with her, with her, you know, church and, and make sure that it was being done I guess tastefully enough for them. I don't think she ever did anything that graphic uh, again after that. But um, yeah, I mean, she was almost a nun. Like she was either going to be a nun or an actress, and became an actress, but still kind of kept those beliefs. And and then went on to a big. Uh, I mean, she, I didn't realize that she'd done a, a voice in all the Lion King films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's we know her, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, and then she would go yeah. on to star in. Oh, what, Brett? I was just going to say a fairly large role in the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea that was her. And uh, and then she would do uh, One Tree Hill for, I think, the whole run of that show. So hmm. that's a pretty long, successful career. Uh, you know, it, Moira Kelly isn't a name that's 
kind of you see very often currently, but that doesn't mean, you know, uh, she still had a great career, obviously. Um, and and her portrayal of Kate, I think like Kate is a little bit extreme, you know, maybe pushed for my taste, like a little too far. Like we get the point, you know, we we get it that she's she's got very high expectations of her her skating partners and she's been let down over and over and over again. And I think every time she gets let down, she raises the bar more and more. So eventually when we meet her, she's we're at a point where like no one's going to reach that level that something's got to happen to kind of force her to accept somebody and doug is the last you know they say it like doug is the last one that they're gonna try this with her yeah she she's a challenge right so she yeah her standards are high she's used to she she's a winner by by nature really so she uh she struggles to get, to get that the, the whole thing is to get that gold medal she failed it in the 88 olympics and it's it's something that and it's part of her journey is figuring out like what does she really want to do with her life like because it's it's just been that and now she's finding this relationship with this guy that it's opening her up and that it makes her look at they don't spend enough time with it i think but it makes her examine her relationship with her current fiance who's a harvard you know mba you know money guy like and she's seeing like there's a different world out there with when with doug being there um so you i i I think like i think both characters get a little disservice about how they get changed i think we could spend a little more time with it but it's it's not it's not important otherwise because i mean it's a natural thing. So like it's you, you can keep buying into the conceit of this movie because it, it follows that formula um you can make it a little more dramatic but what what's the point if you just want to kind of have fun and let let the next beat come you know i i just want to say i i think i mean i agree with what you guys are saying but i also think that i see it from a little bit different perspective as far as her character like she is certainly heavy-handed uh in her like uh hoidiness and her snobbery and whatnot, but it also plays to me a little bit like it's someone who's overcompensating for some of their own weaknesses, which we do find out later in the movie. Like a lot of the failure that she went through early on, she was casting that blame onto the, her other partner, but it was really kind of her own misstep. And I think, you know, like her father thinks that she's perfect and expects her to be perfect, you know, like, especially you know, like he's a hundred percent focused on her since, since her mother passed away and, and all that. And I just feel like, yeah, maybe it's heavy handed. I don't know. Like when I watch it, like, I also think that it's like a character thing and it seems more like a choice uh, in, in her performance than, than it being like way too like over overdone because I'm, I'm kind of feeling like it's, it's more about her trying to hide her deficiencies than it is uh, anything else is is kind of my take. Yeah, I, I totally see it. I, I think yeah. were that movie made today, there's a couple of things I think you could lean into a little more. And I think exactly that is, uh, at least in the beginning and maybe the middle, like where you could really work in some real nice character beats and mm-hmm. dig in a little more on her character. Because, of, you know, at this time, 
a lot of these films are very surface level and you're not like same thing with Doug with the, you know, the eye injury and his whole career and life being thrown upside down. Like you could really lean into that more of how devastating that was and how everything was taken away from him that you, you know, those, I think those are both angles that from a modern perspective, you'd probably focus on a little bit more than here. They kind of like touch on them and move on. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they don't linger, you know, yeah. and and whether whether my perspective is accurate or not, you know, is is, you know, up for up for debate. I'm just, you know, like I think I think that that's my takeaway from it, but I uh yeah, I don't think that they do anything in the movie to necessarily lead the viewer in that direction right it's just it it, to your point like it's just not anything um you know it's a kind of a more superficial kind of straightforward story where where they're not getting into too much depth about that kind of thing yeah the characters aren't very self-aware it's just that the audience is isn't privy to the things they're not aware of either so right Right. it, it makes it just so it's just a easy breezy superficial kind of way to go through the story and uh, and I just want to touch on Terry O'Quinn for a second, who plays Kate's oh, father and yeah. financially supporting her career. And yeah, uh, Terry, come on, love Terry, love Welcome Terry. Back. We uh, you know, we covered Terry on our Young Guns episode, on our Silver Bullet episode. He's had. I was always a fan growing up. He's great in was the stepfather. <laughs> I think the first two films, but uh, <laughs> he. Uh, or maybe it was just Stepfather 2. I can't remember now. Is Wait, it... what? <laughs> he was in the... the movie The Stepfather? Oh, yeah, okay. it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. This... Yeah. Oh, okay. He's we'll so get to it one great. October for you, David. <laughs> Coming up. Uh, he was so great and was this character actor that we saw kind of all over the place in the 80s and, and 90s and then kind of disappeared in the latter part of the 90s. But then when Lost came on, was I think one of the most popular, I mean, definitely one of the most popular characters from oh, that yeah. show yeah. and spawned a whole second life to his career. And I was just so happy to see that, that somebody who's been around and been working, you know, so hard and finally get it, it pays off for him. But his character here, even his character, like we don't get anything about the father, you know, there's really like, he's just there to kind of uh, give some exposition, right? and move the story along that there's there's probably not probably there's so much more you could have done with an actor like that like terry o'quinn but uh you know that wasn't that wasn't what they were going for so that was that was a miss all you need was a pencil thin mustache and you say just terry do your job hit the hit your marks go home we know what you can do yeah. We don't need to. We don't need to challenge you any further. <laughs> that was his first question when when he met uh, Paul Michael Glazer was mustache, no mustache. Yeah, <laughs> and how thin? <laughs> if, if, if mustache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, just great seeing him in here, even if his character wasn't that uh, didn't really have the depth. Yeah. Um, Doug's brother, who owns the bar. Uh, who is also sort of a a character that Doug can sort of bounce off of, right? Very opposite to Doug and 
I just kind of loathed that character, not necessarily the actor, but it was just, it was so, such a, like, I guess sort of not really an antagonist, but, um, the only other part of Doug's life that we see mm-hmm. that there was something about that character that really just bugged me. Really? What? I think it's the scene where like, where Doug comes back to the bar after he's been training and, and has to kind of like the, that, that scene I felt was so awkward of like, and forced where he's, uh, you know, trying to celebrate Doug, but nobody realizes that he's doing skating, you know, figure skating and not hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Do you even think when that's on the brother though. Like, I feel like the brother, like the other times that we saw him and I don't know, like I, it is what it is. I, I thought, I don't know who that actor is I, to me. Like that's some guy that they just pulled off uh, the street to, to he's probably the guy who owned the bar. Like, no, it's Chris Chris Benson. He's he was a working actor. Is he? Because <laughs> yeah. I I was like, man, this performance is great. I was like, this guy, I'm sold on, on. And now I'm more thinking of the like the first time we see him when he's like, at the bar trying to get Doug to to help him for the, for the shift or whatever. I'm like, oh, this guy's really good. Like I get it. Like he's a frustrated <laughs> brother. Like frustrated older brother. I totally know that feeling. And then, and then later when he's all like super supportive and he's clapping and he's very proud of him for, for the skating, I, I completely glazed over the middle part where there was that awkward <laughs> bar scene though. So <laughs> I, I do recall the scene, but uh, I, I didn't I focus on it much. I don't know if it's, it's the, his, perf- it's hard for me to tell if it's his performance or the way he's being directed, but there's something that feels very like, it kind of took me out of the movie and it's a, it's a small character. It's not like a major role or anything, but he uh it felt very forced and unnatural so <laughs> it just bumped me a bit yeah he's a little he's a little intense right out the gate and it's and then they have the screaming match in the backyard like over this i'm an actor just... acting i'm i'm saying the words you know like that's what it felt like to me <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah it it's i think it's it's too much of a shortcut to get their like relationship sort of started in that that opening scene but it yeah but it's th- this movie is about the economy <laughs> of, of every yeah. scene. Like, just get to the point and get out. <laughs> and uh, when we I do that, when we do the cutting edge, the limited series, uh, eight episodes, you know, you can really yeah. dig into the brother relationship. Oh yeah, and th- there'll be just one episode that's focused on him yeah. and h- him going in, and he's like, you know, he went to the Iraq War. He was at the Iraq yeah. War. You know, he has he has all this trauma, and then at the end. He sees his brother and gives him a hug. So, yeah, you know he's he, he's driving the van around town, making pickups for the bar. You know, yeah, he's just you know, he's having a, yeah. We 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 examine him. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely a good look. But yeah, it's it's a little bit of a shortcut. Probably could have. Yeah, the, I, I kind of agree. His opening scene is a little off putting, but otherwise, I settled into him pretty well. And, okay, fair. Yeah. The uh, this is another this is a movie that again proves that the the power of the sports montage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now yeah. it doesn't have a third of it uh, filling the movie like Rocky no. Four, but but there's plenty. There's plenty. Yeah, I mean, but that's it. What else can you do here? Like you, you're trying to be efficient with time and show the you know first the, the trial and tribulations of their of their uh journey together right that they're 
you know, they're opposites, that they're not clicking, that we have to see a lot happen in a short period of time. Yeah, there's no better tool in the in a, in a sports movie than the training montage. Like it is, I don't even think you can do a sports movie without having training montage. It would not be, be, it would not be right. It would feel weird. It would, yeah, it'd be very strange to not have it in there. And again, that, that's part of the formula, um, but it feels, would feel weird not, not to see that, even if it's a short one. Yeah, you got to have it in there. So you see, you know, we see the montage of, of them, you know, not clicking, you know, missing the, the toe pick line, you know, that's toe a pick. Yeah, great Classic. little catchphrase here. And then it's got, then we're going to have to have the conflict between the two of them that of course it's either going to blow up. And of course it does. And they try to, you know, separate, but they're forced back together and then them starting to click and starting to gel. And then it all kind of fusing as they realize, you know, they actually have, you know, there's little snippets of it throughout of like, oh, they touched, you know, touched hands like, oh, they, you know, their hands connected and held and like they make that eye contact that like they both you know felt something there that i like how they kind of peppered that in it wasn't it didn't feel super forced right well i mean in the first time she touches his hand she like makes a comment about i don't know like washing in battery acid or something <laughs> along along those he's lines because he's a working man with like aggressively calloused hands i'm assuming <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so, and so for her to kind of in that scene look down at his hand and be accepting of it is also a nice little nod back to that line from earlier. Yeah, and then later on too, as uh, an interesting scene going back to like how he treats women, uh, when she gets, I think they're both drunk at, at the party. And then she is really being sort of physically like offering herself to him and very he forward. doesn't go. Yeah. Very forward. And, and he doesn't go for it that he um, is respectful of her and knows it's not, you know, it's not right. And, but I think he's acknowledging too, that he had like, he has those feelings for her too, but he doesn't want to ruin it by, you know, waking up the next morning and they'll both regret how it happened. Right. Yeah. He does the gentlemanly thing and <laughs> turns her down because she's not sober. Right. And she gets upset and he leaves. Yeah. And then, and he then immediately... he's propositioned later. <laughs> he's by... propositioned 20 minutes later. <laughs> and... But she's sober. Right. And comes on rather strong, but... He, he does yeah, not. He's he. She's so well. She's sober, but it seems like he. I mean, he's got bottles of alcohol that he's just downing right in front of him. So oh, yeah, he's he sort of taken advantage of. Right. Yeah, he thinks he he takes it a couple beats to really think about letting her in, 
and uh who knows if he was stone sober maybe he wouldn't have but yeah he made some choices as we all do when we have a little too much but that's like the final obstacle right like that's you gotta have it yeah it's the formula the formula calls for a final obstacle yep exactly and then the uh then the you know let's talk about david i know it's a move you've practiced over and over we've worked this through the pamchenko pamchenko (laughs) it is brutal (laughs) what is that move it's also fucking ridiculous this is another thing that roots it in the in the early 90s that's just like what like this is not even that's impossible it's not possible yeah like it's not possible at all it's hard to even describe what that move is but the uh velocity with which he's swinging her body around (laughs) does not seem right no i mean they can they i guess that that's been part of skating programs in the past that you know that that centrifugal like move um but never the whole idea was that he's going to toss her so high up in the air she does a spin move and then he's skating forward and catches her as she comes down i mean it's just it's a lot and she'd have to hit so much air that she's not involved with he has to throw her that's it like it's all upper body strength yeah <laughs> and yeah. you can't really do it so of course you have to cut they cut around it in the shooting because you can't can't really do that i mean i'm sure right. with enough training you could pull off a stunt or something but like to do it live like that like at all or anything close to that just seems ridiculous yeah. <laughs> i don't know that's uh, that's, that's the 1990 yeah. that's the 1992 i don't know where figure skating is today like may, i mean you know every sport gets the challenges get tougher and tougher and the accomplishments and achievements get more and more crazy, you know, just, so who knows? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing today. So uh, forgive me, figure skating uh, uh, fans out there. I don't know if that's still, if that's impossible anymore, but it sure seems it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that was a reach for sure. L- literally and figuratively. Um but whose who's idea was, was that? Yeah, who came up with the Pamchenko? And when okay. she like when they're practicing and and it's not working, and he, uh, you know, the way she just slams down on oh. the ice, I'm like, my God! And Moira well, Kelly, by the way, did in the first week of shooting, she broke her or fractured her ankle, so <sighs> they had to move all the skating work to the end of the shoot and shoot everything else first. And it ended up costing her. She was up for the Lori Petty role in a league of their own. And that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. And that, that's tough because that, you know, that injury cost her that movie. And that was such a huge movie. Again, you can check it out in the archives at reconsideration.com and good for Lori Petty that it worked out, but, uh, yeah. It was uh, real unfortunate for Moira Kelly. So, hmm. but just showing the physicality of like you know they were def- certainly doing a lot of this work. Yeah, I guess so. Like it's it's yeah they know there they there has to be a lot of acting and skating of just casual skating on the ice. Yeah, and things when you can tell it's really them. Uh, so yeah, I couldn't. I'm I I've never ice skated and I've gone roller skating and I don't like it. I didn't like it. I was a child, but I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't have the control and the center of gravity. And one thing that bugged me too was like Doug's eye injury, which is what costs him his hockey career, 
how does that not affect his skating career? Mm-hmm. Like, well, how does that? I just, I, think, I don't, I don't understand. I think, I think he doesn't have a peripheral vision. Yeah, it's more the or peripheral less. vision, right? So yeah. he said he has a blind side. I think a blind side in hockey would be much more detrimental than in true figure skating because yeah. you've got to protect yourself. You don't want to be unprotected against someone coming to check you or. Yeah. or whatever so the physicality of hockey i think yeah. requires for you to have that periphery i don't think figure it's skating is straight ahead. It's as yeah. necessary yeah i mean although so, maybe, maybe a- it's something you could have worked in you could have kind of come back to that note a little bit and like just to give him his character another obstacle to kind of overcome stop stop ending up at my blind side <laughs> yeah. you have to learn how to live with your blind side the original that was the original title was the blind side yeah yeah <laughs> saved for later but oh imagine that sandra bullock late Sandy. 90s sandra bullock in this movie come on oh, yeah, keanu boy. and sandra talk about keanu yeah <laughs> maybe i could see i could see that version of this movie like we were talking about earlier if you were going to put mega stars in it uh Keanu and Sandra, come on, get them back together. I think Keanu and Sweeney, DB Sweeney, worked together in Hardball, right? Weren't they? Uh... Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So they're small world. Small world. Um, and then are, were you guys? You know, we mentioned it earlier, but emotionally, were you on board with the with the end of the film as they you know get into the championships and they're on the rink they're in unison and their characters finally like say it out loud that they're in love with each other yeah it's cute i'm i'm <laughs> i'm on board i mean i didn't punch the back of the the seat in front of me like i did at the end of rocky 4 when when rocky uh beat drago but i i was still on board 100% it's so i mean it's if it's if we're if we're really leaning into the 90s artifact of it all it's like that that's it's perfect. It's this is this is the standard right here. This is how you do it. Well, and I like that we see like we hit it at the very end of the movie. We didn't hit it three quarters through the movie and then have that last finale where they're like in the relationship with each other. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like they got to that moment without having the, you know, the the culmination of the love story. And then we finally like that's what really ends our movie. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to have the timing of them winning the nationals and them winning each other be at the same moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I did appreciate that because I think there's a lot of, there's, there's a million different versions of this movie that are a a lot worse and cheesier Mm. and, you know, can really muddy it up, but uh, I like how it, where it landed here. Um, Quick question though, to get back to the cast though, is Donald Pleasance in this movie? (laughs) Is that guy should Donald be. Pleasant? <laughs> Which guy? The coach? Roy Dotrice, uh, you know. No, it, but I'm like, that's Donald Pleasance. What the hell? Of <laughs> course, I knew it wasn't, but there's a vibe, man. There's it's, an not, energy. It's, it's not a that's Halloween right. movie, so it's not Donald Pleasant. <laughs> well, I, I looked it think. up. They're only they're only four years difference in age. Uh, you know, they were both born like 1919 and like 1923 or whatever was like the, the age range. So, but yeah. I like, I'm, you know, the, there was an energy. I'm like, I know it wasn't him, but I'm just like, Oh, he, he could have, he, he should. Like, he, I don't know. They're both. He had a pleasantness. 
He had a pleasantness about him. Pleasantness. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally see that. Yeah, I get, I get that. <laughs> and I mean, he's a huge UK actor for, and he, I think he worked until he died. So uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, so no, no disrespect to Roy Dultris or or uh, or, or Donald Pleasance at all, but it's sort yeah, of like there's, there's an energy. It's like certain scenes I'm watching. I'm like, is that Lyndon Ashby on the ice? Are we not sure that's <laughs> Lyndon Ashby? I thought I saw oh, Scott man. Hamilton skating around there, and I, I checked the credits. That it's like, oh, he's a technical advisor. You know, nope, he wasn't. So, <laughs> well, I just mean to say that like DB Sweeney and Lyndon Ashby are kind of, you know, they're not the same oh, person at all. But I love it. I would, I would have, I would have bought Lyndon Ashby in this role. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you uh, another Rocky connection, Rocky Four connection? Did you catch? the the score the music that's playing in the championship montage that yeah that's that's yes. hearts on fire i, mean, I caught it i was like yeah, yeah. that's awesome 100 <laughs> percent rocky moment i was like oh my god i mean this... that had to be intentional that that was a complete nod to that of course yeah. right like it had to be. yeah they probably had to get the rights for that because there's it's That's... it's not though they they probably didn't because it, it's not exactly hearts on fire there's like the chorus that sounds exactly like it and then afterwards there's an it's one of those that like there's enough changes where you could probably argue it's a different song perhaps yeah i guess so it just it's so but i mean it's there's just yeah so that was nice to you know another sports movie uh, honoring honoring the rocky franchise yeah <laughs> And then you know, uh, just uh, you know, I was also kind of a sucker for the the end, and and emotionally, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm in. I bought it. And then you end the movie with a Joe Cocker song written by Diane Warren. Feels like oh. forever. To mm. I'm yeah, forget about it. I'm I'm right? there. I'm totally there. So nice. <laughs> I'm glad you got there, John, because I know why you were watching it. You were sending me texts like, "What are we doing? What's?" <laughs> yeah. I had to turn it off after 20 minutes. I'm glad I'm glad that this turned into you get it. Like you the you understand the cult fascination with this with this movie uh after after letting yourself succumb to its its whimsy and charm. Yeah, I really I I did struggle the first half of the movie of like if we're if it's just the formula why are we watching? Why do we care? we know what happens without seeing the movie? So why but there's something about the charm of it uh, and my, you know, sometimes my occasional yearning for the 90s, those straightforward 90s movies that like, you know what? Sometimes simple is better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just not make it complicated. Yeah. Uh, should we talk a little box office glory and see how this one did? Absolutely. Let's do it. The Cutting Edge was shot in the fall of 1991. It opened March 27th, 1992 at number six. Oh, boy. Opened up number Number six. six. So not a great opening, but it was up against, talk about this for a a weekend for sports movies, White Men Can't Jump, Ladybugs, and The Cutting Edge all opened the same weekend. Wow. They all opened? Oh, my gosh. Basketball. Soccer, hockey, or hockey slash uh, skating. So, 
I remember wow. White Men Can't Jump being a pretty big deal when it came out. Um, I saw that at the theater. That that explains why this yeah. one got completely overlooked by me at the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, th- that was a very impactful movie at the time, and uh, you know, there's. I, I don't think it's necessarily aged as well as everybody remembers it. But uh, and of course, there was a remake last year. Yeah. That remake, that remake, hey, though. That remake. <laughs> you haven't seen that remake, folks. Get on there. Maybe Streaming on Hulu as of this recording. And I shouldn't say it's a remake. It's a uh, it's a, a new version, modernized version of it. But yeah, that's what we call a remake. That's a remake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and they're different characters. They're not. It's not the, Listen, quite the same. I know you want to split hairs here, buddy, but it's a remake. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. But Keep yeah, the original simple. that that. That was a tough movie to to kind of overcome here, and I think the Wesley Wesley Snipes star was already on the rise. Woody was a star from Cheers, so I think it was uh, in the moment. I think something that clicked more than the Cutting Edge did. But um, Cutting Edge uh, lands right between Ladybugs, so Ladybugs number five and Fried Green Tomatoes, which was in week like fourteen. Uh, Saw was, that was at the theater it. too. Yeah, yeah. It's the only time I've seen it. <laughs> the uh the opening week was 4.5 million dollars it ended up with a 25.1 million dollar domestic run so uh, probably yeah i don't have the exact budget but it probably broke even it doesn't seem like it's a major hit you know maybe, maybe made a little bit of money but but not much it ends up as number 51 of 1992 right between hoffa and thunderheart oh wow yeah. Uh, and topping the box office in 1992 was Aladdin, Home Alone 2, and Batman Returns. So definitely some se- popular sequels up there. Hmm. But 92 the cutting seems edge really... kind of like a weak year for movies. I'm not going to lie. 92? Yeah, it's an interesting... Not... It feels like a very transition kind of year. That there's... Yeah, not... I mean, I love Aladdin. Home Alone 2 is great. Batman Returns is great. But like, if those are your top movies of that year, like, that doesn't seem... I get Batman Returns. But anyway. Uh, you, d- you don't get Home Alone 2? Home Alone 2 is good. <laughs> you know? I mean, if off he, the success uh, of the first movie, I, of course, get Home Alone 2. But but yeah, nah, I, yeah. Seems like a week, well, seems like a weak year, 92. N- 91 and 92 are like, interesting sort of bridge years that you have you know 89 and 90 you've got these giant movies like batman Mm -hmm. and and last crusade and back to the two back to the future movies home alone goodfellas dances with wolves like these very kind of iconic movies 91 you get a little bit you get terminator 2 you get robin hood but it's it's a little slower 92 you know you've got king ralph floating around out there king Uh, ralph (laughs) I forgot about you know, that n- not quite as epic, but then 93, you know, comes Jurassic Park and then the rise of Tom Hanks and and, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino right behind that. And yeah. yeah. Schindler's List. And so it's like kind of a quieter year in between some bigger years. Yeah, fair. Kind of a perfect time for cutting edge to like perfect in time, there really. But <laughs> But uh, it doesn't really find its its true life until it hits video stores and, and home video. And uh, it was one of those that when I was working at Suncoast, Cutting Edge, and part of why I think my colleague played it was that it sold. You know, when it was playing, people were coming in, browsing, and they would buy it. So 
it worked. Yep. And and it got got this kind of, you know, when you think of cult movies, I don't think you always think of like romantic comedies or these lighter kind of films. Like you think like Twin Peaks and, you know, uh, like Evil Dead 2 and uh, at least in my history, uh, kind of darker films. Like this was one of those that quietly people were loving this movie and not discovering it till, you know, definitely until after it was on video. Yeah. That's why, guys, this is why video stores, I'm going to harp on it again, are so important that that physical browsing versus scrolling through, you know, a streamer that has just pictures of stars on it. You're, if that's the case, you're probably going to pass over the cutting edge because you don't recognize them. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. I... I definitely miss the days of being able to browse the aisles of the video store. I don't know that they'll ever make a strong comeback, but man, if you do have a video store in your neighborhood, uh, a local mom and pop, uh, you should, you should take a minute, take your kids, walk through there, look at the, look at the VHS box art or the DVD box art and, you know, like find those hidden gems, you know, cause I feel like, cult movies and and being able to like randomly find uh movies just based off some compelling box art and and awesome synopsis off the back of the box is uh it's a dying uh it's a dying thing and it's uh it's sad because i think a lot of the cult movies that people love today were found by doing just that where else are you gonna find a a three-word blurb from rex reed and what he thought about the movie exactly right (laughs) Yeah, uh, totally in support of that. So any of your local video stores of, in Southern California, we've got Videotech, we've got Videots. There's other, you know, there's others still floating around out there, but you got you to find them and support them or, or they won't be around. So, um, but there were, believe it or not, there were three sequels to this movie and Ooh. none of which star D.B. Sweeney or Moira Kelly. Uh, they nope. made a pact with each other that, they were not going to do a sequel without each other. So if one wasn't in, the other wasn't going to do it. So, and they held true to that. Um, they would actually reunite in DB Sweeney's, uh, I don't know if it was his directorial debut, but a film he directed called yeah, he two wrote Tickets to Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote and directed oh. two, two Tickets to Paradise. So that that's, that's cool that the, the actors would kind of continue together. Uh, the three sequels, uh, all straight to video, kind of pick up They kind of obviously if they weren't going to recast those roles, we're going to move on without them. And, uh, or they, they do recast them, but in smaller roles in the second film where it's about their, their kid. Yeah. I think they were TV specials done by ABC family that, that aired starting in 2006. And, but yeah, it's, uh, they're not connected with DB and, and Moira. So. Yeah. But enough of a, you know, following for, you know, somebody to, uh, decide to make continuations of that world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, it goes to show that, you know, there is definitely an audience uh, and, and, you know, again, what 2000s, you know, I mean, 14 years after the fact, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're making three more. So yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. So would you, uh, would you guys recommend this today to, for a, a modern audience to check out? What do you think? Or is it really for like 
hey, our generation, watch it again. I know my answer. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Um, but, <laughs> I would. Uh, I had a fine time with it. It's it's fine. It's good. It's you know I I appreciate what it is. Uh, I guess, uh, but uh, the only recommendation would be like I'm looking for like a typical '90s like rom com. Oh, okay, yeah, here. But yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like start pitching like Hey, you should watch. You know what you should watch? Check this out. Well, um, yeah, to, to, but I mean, to, what to, context is someone going to ask you for a recommendation anyway? You're not going to just go up to a random stranger on the street and be like, "Hey, of course." Well, I do. Have you seen Cutting Edge? I go. I I try to recommend movies to strangers when I can. Uh, if I'm feeling <laughs> feeling like they David they, patrols outside Recon Cinema Studios and it's just, "Hey, hey, he hey, makes like cars pull over." He drives around in his recommendation mobile and just that's right. <laughs> Blares it from the loudspeaker. It's a souped-up yeah. golf cart. That, that. <laughs> yeah, I agree, David. I, I kind of feel the same way that I. It's a very specific, you know, audience that I think w- I would recommend this to. That you know, for younger audiences, I don't think would enjoy this movie. But for someone who's looking like, I want like I just want a romantic, com- like a straightforward romantic comedy. Like then that's where I would slide this one in. See, so both of you have said no, but I hear you both saying yes. So mm-hmm. yes to a specific, but that's group. what that's how that this movie would get recommended in in any case is specific circumstances, right? So, uh, some, you know, some movies I, are universal. You want to go? Uh, maybe, yeah. yeah. Like, like you know, like if if someone's just like, uh, I, I I can't think of a movie I want to watch. You know, I just want to watch something like this would not be on the top of the list, you know, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I still heard. Yes. You would recommend it though. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, if we, if we hone in a little bit and I can zero in of like more in particular, like genre time period, you know, I mean, so let's, let's take it back to our last romantic comedy. Uh, one of our bigger ones from the holiday. So while you were sleeping, would you just randomly recommend while you were sleeping to people? Or would it have to be under specific circumstances? That would be specific also. Yeah. That, yeah same absolutely. thing. Yeah. Okay. Like Princess Bride, though, is one is uh, but, is Yeah, would, I get would, that. would be like, oh, I want to watch a movie. That's that's one of the top ones I recommend because it hits so many different and it holds up so well. One hundred percent. Totally understand that. Princess Bride is a true like classic movie, like done well in every aspect, like one of Rob Reiner's greatest you know of of a list of great movies you know like i totally understand that it is a foundational piece to cinema cutting edge is not a foundational piece to cinema right you know <laughs> but i'm still hearing that you would recommend it. so <laughs> yep. so that's fair my point. fair you got us you got us there yeah <laughs> uh all right so let's come back six degrees of reconsideration brent oh, you wanted us to connect uh, the Princess Bride to the Cutting Edge. See how it all works back together. I think I've got a path if you'll accept it. Uh, I'm so, so open to accept. Okay. Uh, Paul Michael Glazer directed, who directed this film, also directed The Running Man, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll yeah. do the same connection I did before. Arnold Schwarzenegger to Andre the Giant, who co-starred with him in Conan the Destroyer, Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride. Okay. I'll accept it. 
Okay. I'll accept it. I couldn't okay. figure. I didn't really do it while we were going. So that's uh, sorry about that. That's that, no, that's, that's a good we'll path. We'll just go with mine. We'll just go with mine. <laughs> it's a good path. I also have one. What do you got? I will share. Uh, cutting edge Dwyer Brown, who plays Moira Kelly's fiance before she realizes she's in love with with Doug, uh, is in Field of Dreams. Uh, Field of Dreams. Frank Whaley is in. He plays the young Archie Graham. Frank Whaley is in Little Monsters with Fred Savage. Fred Savage is in A Princess Bride. Huh. I love it. Okay. That's great. All right. Yeah. Wow. We, did, we did it again. We, we rose to the challenge. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's about it for the cutting edge. I think, you know, we mentioned earlier in sticking with that Olympic kind of theme, let's do, let's do cool runnings. Let's, let's do a little Olympic uh, bobsledding. Let's get John Candy back on here. Are you guys good with that for our next episode? I could not be more excited to get into candy. Absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be great. We'll go back. We'll go back to camp candy for an, for a bit. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, please check us out. Check out our archives at reconsinimation.com. We're on social media, Reconsinimation Podcast. Uh, check us out there. Go back in you know, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a rating and a review. It always helps the show. And a uh, quick shout out and thank you to our friends, EK Wimmer for the theme music, Curtis Moore for the posters. Guys, I think we need to get back down to the Reconsiderink and work on our Pamchankos because it's not we're not nailing it yet. So... <laughs> <laughs> we'll let's we'll get make back. it out alive. I know. Let's get back down there and we'll see you next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Sorry, I, my timing, I know it stinks, but I just keep thinking this, this thing with us, it's going to go away. I keep thinking if I can just keep moving and, and, and checking, I'll get clear. But do you understand what I'm telling you? I don't want to fight anymore. No, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to fight anymore. You have to skate. This won't wait. Kate, maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe, maybe you didn't give me much of a chance. Maybe, I don't know. I, I just, I just... Mosley, Dorsey, one minute. Okay, somewhere in the middle of all this, I fell in love with you. You may take the I'm saying I love you. I'm saying it out loud. Don't say we're not right for each other because the way I see it, we might not be right for anybody else. I have to go on. Shut up a minute! It can't be any harder to stay together than it was to stay apart. Will you wait a minute? I need you. I need you.
We're doing the Pemchenko. What? Oh, you heard me. You think I'm doing all this to, to get a program out of you? You want to win, don't you? It's no good, Kate. It's too dangerous. And we agreed. I'm putting it in.